Hello and welcome to the Skytime Podcast with me, Simon Cousins. This is the podcast that aims to share information and experiences within the Sky community during the COVID-19 crisis. In a few weeks, Skytime will chart the transition from lockdown through the recovery phase as we celebrate all the people, places and providers that make Sky such a great place to live, work and visit. Coming up on this week's Sky Time. The chair of NHS Highland tells us how the local healthcare system is coping with COVID-19. Construction on Sky has ground to a halt, but how quickly can local builders bounce back? We hear of more problems for local businesses trying to furlough staff under the job retention scheme, and we ask a major high street bank what they are doing to help the business and wider community of Sky. In the last few podcasts, we've focused on the impact of COVID-19 on the business and wider community. But as we all know, this is first and foremost a national health emergency. To find out how Sky's health services are coping with COVID-19, I'm joined by Dr Paul Davidson, Deputy Medical Director Community within NHS Highland, and the Chair of NHS Highland, Professor Boyd Robertson. Welcome to the Skytime podcast. Thank you, Simon. Thanks, Simon. Boyd, you only took over as Permanent Chair in December 2019. Not long after that, the scale of the problem in China started to become apparent. When did discussions start to take place within NHS Highland about COVID-19? Right at the start of of the year, in fact. I think uh, we were made very aware of it then. And uh, right throughout February, we were gearing up preparations then. We were part of the national picture as well. We were very well linked into the national network through the chairs group nationally, through the chief executive group nationally, medical directors group, and so on. So we're wired into the system nationally. And we also had in place, in any case, long-standing pandemic flu plan and emergency plan across agencies. And maybe Paul could say a bit more about that. Really, since uh, swine flu and even before that, we have had indications from our scientific community that a pandemic was was likely and it was likely to involve uh, the whole world and and would impact on Scotland. So there there has been um, statutory requirements to have a pandemic flu plan for for some years now. And and that plan um, is essentially created for each hospital unit or department to enable them to have some advanced thinking uh, undertaken as to how they might reconfigure to deal with a a pandemic. And it also requires um, units to do desktop exercises to drill, if you like, um, for the possibility of, of a pandemic. And then that follows all the way through the NHS and our partners and GP practices, for example, will have things called business continuity plans, which allows them a similar opportunity to prepare. But when something is as new as COVID-19, can you actually adequately prepare for the specific medical requirements of this unique pandemic? I think that, that that's a key question because each virus, of course, is different. This is not a flu virus, it's a coronavirus, and it has different characteristics and affects the human body in, in different ways. So no plan is absolutely full in its um, 
thinking about what services are going to require because some will require more intensive care, such as coronavirus. Some will require more community care, such as a, an influenza outbreak for that matter. Bringing things closer to home. So how many uh, acute beds and, and ventilators were available uh, on Sky and, and indeed in neighbouring West Highland communities? The model of care on Sky um, has 12 beds in uh, Portree Hospital and 20 beds in McKinnon Memorial Hospital. Um, when we have a significantly ill patient or somebody who's been in a trauma, for example, that needs to be evacuated from the island, we have available to us a trans, what's called a transfer ventilator at McKinnon Memorial Hospital. And that allows the clinicians there to safely stabilise patients until the emergency medical retrieval service can come from, from Glasgow or elsewhere to take them to a higher level of care. So there isn't any standing ability to have a ventilated patient on Sky for any length of time, and nor would we want there to be because they have to be in the highest level of care with with critical care um, anaesthetists looking after them in intensive care units. But we do have the capability to ventilate for a short time to prepare for transfer. Boyd, when lockdown was implemented, what what additional resources were made available to NHS Highland and, and how did you go about deciding how to deploy them? Well, there are very specific instances of available funding nationally, such as the provision of PPE, that's done at a national level. There's also an opportunity for staff to return to medicine, to nursing at whatever level. That is something, again, that operates nationally. So that element of cost is taken care of at a national level. We do know that funding will be provided by the Scottish Government for the additional costs we incur in dealing with the coronavirus epidemic. We have quantifying that, we are recording and logging all the costs associated with that. I have also to say that some of our other costs have diminished over that period of time as well, because we haven't had as many cases in hospital, because we've had to close off some of the provision and to repurpose some of of our uh, service. Theatres, for instance, have been repurposed into ICU units to cater for the pandemic. But in terms of resources uh, such as staff, how do you go about deciding how to deploy them in particular locations? Is it purely a numbers game based on population centres or is it much more sophisticated than that? It is far more sophisticated than that and it's, it's based entirely on our clinical modelling. So we, we carefully think about how that the pandemic is going to affect our, our patients in our communities, but also in our hospital settings. And then we realign our services to be able to provide for their needs in a safe way. So you can imagine we would be dealing with uh, somebody with what is a respiratory illness, a COVID illness, in a particular way, which is different from the general population of patients within our hospitals and other units. And therefore, we would have to address that by moving resources to meet the needs. There are additional needs, of course, around about the safety of staff. So it it takes a long time to get the appropriate protective equipment on to be able to provide care. And that has to be done in a way that has got enough, you know, anti-rooms available for that to be done safely, for it to go on and to go off. And we have to just reconfigure around our holy state to meet that clinical need. So, yeah, it's it's a very sophisticated model and it's different for every little part of Highland where we're going to be seeing these patients. So for Sky in particular, what additional staff were brought in to prepare for COVID? 
There has been no additional staff at the moment. It hasn't been required. What has been required is, as I said, a, a really profound reconfiguring of the hospitals into red and green zones. A green zone would be a, a place where COVID is not suspected and those patients who would come in with any other condition are treated. But a red zone is where somebody who um, may have COVID would, would be seen and they would be seen by staff who, of course, got the appropriate protective equipment on. And that's where patients will be confronted with, with staff with respirator masks and gowns and gloves and, and so on. And it's quite a different healthcare environment to the normal friendly face of the NHS. So, so that, that can be a bit of a challenge. But it is allowed to allow the safety both of the patients who may be in the hospital, but also of, of the staff. We have been fortunate across the whole of the Highlands that we haven't had as bad as yet a pandemic as other places. That's not to say it's not in our communities, it, it is, but we haven't seen as many cases coming through. And therefore, the additional staff that we're now getting from the Scottish Government in the form of, as Boyd alluded to, in the form of doctors, nurses, medical students, nursing students, are, are now coming through our resource centre and will be redeployed as necessary. All our senior staff across NHS Highland are working exceptionally long hours, working exceptionally hard to meet the challenges of the, the COVID crisis. And happily, I can also say that Highland, possibly because of our geography and our dispersed population, hasn't had the high incidence of COVID that other areas have had. We're, we are notably the lowest of the mainland health boards in terms of incidence of COVID. And I think at any one time, we've, we've only had about 60 people in our hospitals across, across the region, which is a very wide region from Caithness in the north down to Campbellton and Helensborough in the south. I know it's the government rather than the NHS that publishes the numbers of hospital cases and, and deaths, etc. Are you able to give us any indication of how these numbers for Highland break down in terms of Sky? I mean, have we had cases of COVID-19 on Sky? I think it's fair to say that there are cases of covid across our region, all areas of our region. We're not at liberty to divulge that information because that, that is information which is published each day by the Scottish Government. And I think at present we have 236 cases in NHS Highland area. But we're not, for reasons of patient confidentiality, able to reveal where each case is. And Paul, from your point of view, how have staff coped when they have been presented with COVID cases? We often think of the NHS as the, a slow-moving, large organisation, but what we've experienced over the last six weeks is a complete reconfiguring of all services, from hospital to general practice to community services, done with, with, with great speed, with people working long hours um, and reconfiguring and being prepared to take on work which really was far beyond what their daily work would normally be. And when we actually have been dealing with individual COVID patients, they've done so with great generosity and empathy and have provided the, the care that we're so proud of them for in a way which has actually had achieved you know, the best outcomes for patients. Boyd, there are reports of people with non-COVID health issues not presenting at hospital or their GP for fear of catching coronavirus and, and COVID. How much does it concern NHS Highland that we may be storing up other big health problems? That's a national problem. It's been identified by the 
acting medical director for Scotland, Dr. Gregor Smith, who incidentally was for a time interim chief executive at NHS Highland and knows our area intimately. He has been urging people who have ailments such as bleeding or chest pains to present and to go to their GPs or to report to NHS 24. And we in Highland would endorse that message entirely. We've seen quite a drop in presentations in our area as well. And we would encourage anybody who has any kind of significant ailment to report to their uh, GPs or to NHS 24. And Boyd, is there concern in particular about a developing mental health problem with people going through this long period of lockdown? There is, and again, that exists nationally and it exists locally. It's not just mental health, but there, there are other conditions as well, alcohol dependency, drug dependency. These are manifestations which are associated with pandemics of this kind. We have been guiding patients, of course, to national resources available through NHS Inform. And, and there are a, a number of really excellent uh, resources there, such as Breathing Space, which the public and patients can, can access. But I wanted to say that um, our GP practices remain open for, for people to go forward with uh, any mental health issues they have. Our mental health teams in the community continue to function well. And I asked this question of uh, colleagues there just yesterday, whether they felt under pressure or that there were more mental health presentations than normal. And they were able to reassure me that they weren't particularly under pressure, that they were dealing well with uh, patients presenting appropriately. And that is also the same of our of our mental health facilities, such as New Craig's, um, where they have reconfigured to deal with COVID, but they're also managing with their acute caseload very well. So much like the, the message beforehand, we do want um, the public to present if they have mental health concerns as they would a health concern. I guess in the coming weeks, uh, one of the concerns will be lockdown fatigue. The evidence that I see and most people see at the moment on Sky, when I go to Broadford, for example, to get food and medicines for shielding and vulnerable members of my family, is that people are really sticking to the message of, of staying at home. Can you quantify just how much that is helping we do notice that there are fewer demands being placed on our services here in Sky, fewer people presenting after having accidents or injuries because there's less traffic on our roads, there are less trauma incidents, there are fewer people on our mountains or our hills, therefore there's fewer incidents of injuries to limbs on mountains. So in these ways, there are significant changes to the patterns in, in our local hospitals. But Paul, if fatigue does set in and people start to relax their behaviour and, and go out, how quickly could things snowball and create problems for local health services? I think that's a key point. And we, we do want to, to really thank the public for what they've done thus far. There's little doubt that our geography, um, the early lockdown for us compared to other areas, and the, the public support for adhering to, to the national guidance has made a huge difference on the pandemic in NHS Highland at the moment. So, so thank you for that. What happens next? Well, we're really not entirely sure. It, it is possible that our public has, I suppose, been less exposed to the virus thus far, and therefore there may be greater numbers come forward in the days and months ahead. It may be that the opposite would happen, and certainly some of my public health colleagues are saying that 
Perhaps in parts of the Highland, the virus has never been able to take hold and has in fact died out as the cycles have passed through with, with the lockdown being in place for so long. So we're really not sure. We're hopeful, but we're also prepared for what might come next. And in terms of what's coming next, Boyd, what sort of planning is going into the autumn and winter when there might be a second wave of COVID combined with seasonal influenza? Well, we remain vigilant as an organisation and prepared to deal with a second wave. We do anticipate that there could be further developments later in the year. We're always preparing each winter for flu anyway, and we will obviously have coronavirus in our minds as as well. But at the same time, we have to look to business as usual in a health sense uh, and all the normal conditions that the health service has to deal with. Finally, Paul, most of us go outside on a Thursday night to clap and bang pots and pans in support of our health workers. It's unlikely in a place like Sky that these plaudits are being heard in such a vast landscape. But does staff realise how much they're appreciated? I think they do. We live in a media world. We see this even if we can't hear our neighbours because they're over the next hill. But it's not just in the Thursday night clapping, it's the way the public have adhered to the public messages to protect the NHS, it's the signs by the roadside, it's the acknowledgements and the nods as you're driving into work. There is no doubt that staff know that the public are supporting them and are admiring them for for what they're doing and it it does mean an incredible amount to our staff and and to me personally. So thank you to to all of the public for for doing that and also thank you to all of our staff because they are the ones that are coping admirably really with what has been the biggest challenge for our healthcare system in in my lifetime. Can I just say that uh, the response from the public has been heartwarming and uh, the clapping is is one uh, evidence of that. But I would ask for continued vigilance by the public at large. I would ask them to continue to maintain social distancing, to continue to look to hygiene, personal hygiene, washing their hands, follow the guidelines, because that's the best way of uh, thanking our health staff. Could I also just say that we are incredibly proud as an organisation, as a board, of the personnel we have working on the front line, servicing the uh, front line as well, at all levels across our health service. We have seen incredible work over the past six weeks or so, and we want to thank all our health personnel for the work they have done way above and beyond expectations. Professor Boyd Robertson and Dr Paul Davidson, thank you very much for your extremely valuable time. Thank you, Simon. Thanks. Tourism accounts for 40% of the Sky economy, and that's why so much of this podcast is devoted to the industry. But every business in every sector is suffering right now, and I'm keen that we hear about these experiences too. I'm joined by Managing Director of James McQueen Building Contractors, James McQueen. Welcome to the Skytime podcast. Hi, Simon. Yeah. Now, James, when the crisis hit, how many building projects did you have on the go? At any one time, we'll have between 14 to 20 projects of, of different values from from 200,000 projects to, to some projects up to 4 million in contract value. And how many people did you employ either directly or as contractors? We employ um, 65 direct employees and then we use 
a range of subcontractors, probably the same again, between 50 and 60 subcontractors here. And as the crisis started to develop, how long were you able to keep operating for? The announcement from our First Minister really capped it. There was a lot of worry before that stage, a lot from our staff, because um, a lot of our staff were worried about the effect that the virus would have on, on them personally or the families or if they had any outlying medical conditions. So the, the morale was going down prior to the announcement and probably production was as well. So actually when the First Minister announced that there would be a, a shutdown completely, then I thought that made a lot of sense, yeah, to keep everybody safe. So there wasn't a thought of reorganising the way that you work and just having one tradesman at a time on a job, that, that just wasn't practical? We did think about that. Initially, we thought, yes, could we cut down the projects to man them with one or two people with social distancing? I can give you an example of, in, in, in I think the announcement was on the Tuesday. Within that week, we'd had several emails from worried um, public expressing concern that we were still operating sites. In a lot of them cases, we were actually shutting down the sites to make them safe because we can't literally just walk off a site and, uh, you know, there's the, there's the safety element of it to consider, make sure that all the materials are safe and stored safely, the, the access to the site's being restricted. So that took a few days and within them few days, yes, we had quite a few messages from concerned public that we were, that we were still operating. So we then took the decision that we would close down completely and furlough the staff and then work towards the restart, start planning the restart. But yeah. presumably you must have been under a degree of pressure from some of your customers to get the job finished, especially ones that were almost at the, the stage of completion. Uh, well, in fact, most of our clients were very understanding and um, really were following the government guidelines. They fully appreciated that... Uh, that there would be a delay and that we couldn't put a, a date or time to when we would either have their houses finished or in affordable housing cases to have flats finished for people to move in. How worried were you by the furlough scheme? You, you said you've got about 65 employees. That's a lot of people to keep paying the wages of waiting for government money to come through. Yeah, initially there was, because of the impact and, and a scheme like this has, has, has not been used before. There was concerns, yeah, very much so that, uh, you know, our current uh, monthly outgoings, you know, would be over 100,000 easily, even with a shutdown. But the government agreed that, or announced that they would make the payments as at the end of April by the time we got the scheme together. I think it was earlier this week our finance girls were telling us. Um, so we've made our first claim for the furlough payment, which hasn't arrived yet, but um, in the meantime, we're paying our staff as, as normal. Yeah. Now, it's not just your operation. You presumably have dozens of suppliers. What's the situation like with the supply chain? Because as you start to plan for restart, if you've not got supplies, you, you're not going to be able to do anything. No, prior to the lockdown, we took the decision to stock quite a lot of materials as well in the, in the previous months to the to the lockdown because the scale that we're working on, obviously supplies is an important thing when we come back. 
But our suppliers, you know, we talk to them, we keep in touch. As soon as the lockdown's um, lifted for construction, they're all geared up ready as well, you know, to, to resupply us to make sure that we can continue with the projects. Have you just had projects suspended or have any customers cancelled projects due to the uncertainty? There's a few clients um, that are probably holding off making decisions on jobs that we hadn't started yet. That's mainly in the private sector. On the affordable side, we'd had some successful tenders out there prior to the lockdown, and we've been able to continue with them, developing them to a contract later on. There's been a huge growth in the the tourism industry in the last few years, and obviously that involves a, a lot of building projects or conversion projects. Do you think that that sector will be slow to restart again as people worry about how long it will be before visitors are coming to Sky? Yes, I do. I think that of the industries on Sky, obviously we rely heavily on the um, on the tourism industry, and and that impacts down as well to construction. Um, you know, a, a percentage of our turnover would be based on on properties that were either being used for self catering accommodation or hotel refurbishments, all that sort of work. So yes, um, I would say there would be an impact on that side to our workload for maybe two years. I would have thought we'd probably allow that anyway. I don't think a lot of the businesses will be, unless there's some stimulus from the government would be in a position to start investing or would be worried about investing within the next two to three years. Yeah, so what specific assistance could the government give you that will help the building sector in the weeks and months ahead? Well, the affordable sector hopefully will continue strongly and, of course, that's supported by the government and and we're actively involved on Sky in a few projects with affordable accommodation and we've signed up a couple more during the lockdown so that gives us a, a good base to start with. Individual builds, if anything, there might be an uplift in them possibly when, when people have been locked away in a city for a, maybe two months that suddenly they realised, oh, well, that house I was going to buy in the country or that place, they might accelerate their plans now. So there might be a plus on that side. You're, yeah. fe- you're feeling optimistic. You know, I mean, you've always got to try and look at the positive side. It has been very concerning. The first first month was difficult to grasp, really. But after that, yeah, it's important to put a positive spin on the business and um, and look ahead to the when we open again or when the sun rises. James McQueen, thank you very much for your time. Okay, thank you, Simon. <laughs> Now, a couple of weeks ago, we spoke to Faye McLeod of accountants Campbell Stewart McLennan. Faye provided some great advice on the various government support schemes and also on how businesses should be looking closely at their cash flow projections for the next six months. Faye is back on the podcast. Hello, Faye. Hello. Nice to speak to you again. Now, as we said last time, Faye, things are moving and changing all the time. How are your clients getting on in terms of accessing government support? We've been seeing grants coming through the council, which is excellent. So we've had quite a number of people who are starting to receive their £10,000 grant support. And also self-caterings are now qualifying if they meet the criteria. So 
they are, are, have, have also been submitting grant applications. It's a slightly different form that they've got to complete. So hopefully they will start to come through soon as well. Now, the long-awaited job retention scheme is open for applications, and I read that there are 67,000 applications in the first 30 minutes of the portal opening. It's a miracle that it didn't crash. Absolutely, and um, certainly speaking to other accountants the week before, there were predictions that the system would absolutely crash. However, it's held up and it's accepting applications, and it seems to be working relatively well to date. And how quickly will businesses start to receive money to cover 80% of the furloughed staff wages? No absolute certainty here. However, HMRC were, were saying that if they had applications in by the end of yesterday, that they were hoping to have that paid out by the end of this month. So that's a relatively good turnaround, I would, I would think, for, for HMRC to be working on a scheme that's entirely new to them. The scheme criteria was tweaked by the government to better reflect seasonal employment, but even that tweak, I understand, is a bit of a mess. It is. On the face of it, it was a very welcome announcement that they made. However, looking at the the qualifications to that meant that, in reality, very, very few people were actually helped by that change. The qualification that they added in was that RTI, real-time information reports, had to be submitted to HMRC by the 19th of March for those who had been employed between the 29th of February and the 19th of March to qualify. Now, in reality, most employers nowadays pay staff on a monthly basis at the end of the month, and therefore only weekly or fortnightly paid employees who had had their RTI reports submitted before the 19th would actually qualify, which looking at our own client base, you're looking at less than 5% of payrolls are run on that basis. Has the government responded to the criticism of this criteria? Unfortunately, the response seems to be that individuals who are in this situation employed in March, but didn't have RTI reports submitted by the employers by the 19th of March are to go down the universal credit route, which is very harsh. A lot of those who work in seasonal employment, it's not just that each month they're not working, they're losing one twelfth of their income. In a lot of cases, they're losing one eighth of their income. And given the timing of the coronavirus hitting at the worst possible time for, for tourism season just opening up again, The reality is that we've probably lost a whole season. So you're looking at a lot of individuals just living on a very, very low income in comparison to what they would ordinarily have. So the individuals who are affected by this criteria, they can't become furloughed subsequent to March. They will have to stay on universal credit for as long as they're unemployed, essentially. That's right. That's correct. And it's very, quite harsh. And not a situation that affects the whole country, but very much affects rural areas such as the Highlands and Islands and disproportionately affects this area. And at a time when we have our own public agencies looking at repopulation of rural areas and trying to hold on to the population that we have, these are the very people who we should be supporting and holding on to in the Highlands and Islands. And it's it's just very disproportionately harsh on us 
living in the Highlands and Islands. I interviewed MP Ian Blackford and he had raised this issue with Chancellor Rishi Sunak and his justification for this criteria was twofold. One, to make it easier for HMRC to administer and two, to prevent fraud. Do you think that's good enough? But by the time they announced this date cha- apparent date change to the 19th of March, it was actually after the 5th of April, by which time employers had already submitted their RTI submissions for the month of March. Now, those submissions would contain the actual start dates, showing dates prior to March. There's also evidence in terms of employment contracts, ROTAS, timesheets showing actual hours worked. There's a plethora of evidence there that would support claims if required. So on the fraud side, I can fully understand that they want to prevent fraud, but there are ways and means on a practical level of demonstrating start dates and that they are actual real start dates. For those who do meet the criteria, the furlough scheme has been extended into June. Do you think that will be long enough? I doubt it. In reality, restaurants and the tourism sector will be the last to open. From a practical perspective, there's going to be a huge impact in terms of social distancing, so that even if they're allowed to open again, the way that they operate will be extremely different to the way that they've operated in the past for quite an extended period of time. And that's going to disproportionately, again, affect the Highlands and Islands because of the reliance on the tourism and hospitality sector. Faye McLeod of Campbell Stewart McLennan, thank you, and we'll speak again soon. Thank you. For companies unable to receive support through government grant schemes, the next port of call in a bid to survive the crisis is the high street banks. The government agreed to underwrite loans to get cash flowing, but it's fair to say that the taps were not turned on as quickly as many people would have liked. On the flip side, there have also been plenty of reports of businesses and individual customers receiving a good, sympathetic and supportive service from their bank. To discuss how the banks are supporting the business and wider community, I'm joined by Gary Munro of RBS. Welcome to the podcast, Gary. Sorry to be on. Thank you. Now, I should stress that you can't be expected to speak on behalf of all of the banks, but in general terms, do you think the banking community reacted quickly enough to the crisis? It's a, a great question. Clearly, it's a very unique and, and challenging time. The, the extension to the, the lockdown that we've just seen is, is proof of that. As you talked about, and, and I think initially a, a lot of what we did was being a, a sympathetic ear. I know our, our local manager in Sky there spoke to every one of our customers within a couple of weeks, which is a huge uh, amount of customers to, to be talking to. And really all, all that she was really doing at that time was a lot of it was helping clients with initial working capital requirements, overdraft increases, repayment holidays on their on their loans. And those calls were all fairly lengthy as well in terms of there was more than just the practical banking sense point of the point of the call. There was a lot of discussion around just trying to be sympathetic and reassuring the reassuring the clients that were there for them and were 
here to support them back to a, to a healthy financial position and get everybody through this crisis in the best shape, shape possible. So I think initially that's what a lot of time was spent on is just being there and, and reassuring. And it's now really that we're starting to, to, to take stock and see what clients are now needing for the, for the next few months, not just the immediate future. And, you know, and I, I guess specifically for a place like Sky, where we've got a lot of leisure sector businesses, we're not just thinking about the next two, three months, even if it's over by September, we've really missed the bulk of this tourist season. So we need to, to be thinking about actually what do we need to help the clients with to get them through, not just till September, but let's get them through to just about basically this time next year. So when we're looking at any proposals or any requests from clients, we need to get them thinking about actually what do they need. So getting back to answering your question, I don't know if you're aware, but normally for a for a new product, and it'll probably be fairly similar for, for most banks, these things take months, if not years, to, to set up. And this was something that the banks had to get up to speed with really, really very, very quickly. But I believe, and this is UK figures I'm talking now, we've now lent or approved something in the region of a billion pounds and 6,000 applications, I think it is, or just over 6,000 applications. So we, we are starting to see it flow through now. So. Would it be fair to say, though, that there were mixed messages coming from government in the early days? On the one hand, they were saying that they're underwriting loans at 0% for, for six months. But on the other hand, you were getting instructions that you could still lend at commercial rates. So was the confusion there? Clearly, nobody's ever been in this situation previously. We were getting to grips with it as we were as we were working through it. And, and likewise, I, I don't want to be critical of the government because I think they they're in this you know similar difficult position. There, you know, they're, they're having to set this up really quickly. They're they're having to set out their guidance, and it, and it's only when you start to look at the practicalities that you start to think well, maybe that might not work. What what more can we do to help businesses here? So. You've made reference to the seasonality of much of the Sky economy, which the business community will be delighted to hear, because that is one of the concerns that they feel a lot of the support that's being offered at the moment does not reflect the nature of the tourism industry in Sky. So are you putting specific lending mechanisms in place or changing policies to adapt to the seasonal nature of the industry? We're we're not changing policies as such. What, What we're looking at is... If you were a viable business before COVID-19 happened, we still view you as a viable business now. Yes, we obviously expect you to be impacted by COVID-19, but we will not base our criteria on that impact, unless, of course, it's positive for your business. But I guess there's very few businesses out there that fall into that into that space. So our criteria hasn't changed. As I said, what, what we are and... and all the RMs, particularly the, the team that I have, they're all based in the localities, so they know the, the communities, they know the areas. The, the, the manager I have is based in Portree. Many of your listeners will hopefully know Lorraine. She absolutely understands the, the local economy and, and the sectors that she's working with. And, and the, the whole team is like that. So we're, we're considering, you know, when we get an application in from a client for this type of loan, we're challenging back 
because it's really important that the client asks for the right amount. So if we think actually you've underestimated here, Mr. Customer, have you actually thought about, as I've just talked about, we need to get through to next March, next April, perhaps, what will your cost then be? If we can talk about individual customers uh, for a moment, are they coming to you seeking mortgage holidays? Is that the principal request at the moment? Yes, uh, I think there's something in the region of, again, I've only got UK figures for this, but 170,000 or so mortgage holidays have been agreed already. What, what's been really pleasing to hear on, on the personal side and uh, my situation, Simon, as we talked about before we started the call, I'm, I'm working from home just now. My wife also works in the in the bank and she works from, she's having to work from home with the kids and, and everything. So it's all going on here. But <laughs> what she's doing as part of her role and, and they're doing this across the bank is they're phoning those customers that are over the age of 70 and that are vulnerable customers just to see how we can help them and what support we can do for them. And I know that, again, just to bring it back to Sky, that's been happening in Portree um, and the branch there. They've been phoning and, and even really nice things like messages for, for clients that have not been able to get out and do it, going to the chemist to pick things up for, for clients that have not been able to do it. So that's been, that's been really good. There's even as a, as a bank, we've been able to send cash out directly to customers that have been unable to go into the branches, and we've announced for vulnerable customers and something called a companion card, where basically the, the customer can top up this companion card and give it to somebody they can trust to go away and pick up their messages for them. So just trying to think about how we make things easier for those personal clients that may not be able to go into the branch. And of course, the branches and staff are affected by this crisis as much as anybody else. It's great to hear that your staff have been actively phoning customers up, but there have been reports that people trying to get through to the bank have been having difficulty getting through on the phone. Is the volume of calls starting to drop off a bit now? Will people stand more chance of getting through? It's starting to drop off now, yeah. Certainly initially, you know, we were getting as much calls in a day as we were getting in a month in, in, in some of the departments. The volumes were understandably, because obviously customers are very concerned. What we're now doing is we're pulling people from different areas of the bank to, to, to shore up those departments and to support these departments because perhaps the area of the bank that they were involved in for obvious reasons is not quite as busy as some of the frontline teams so we're able to, to support there so we are starting to see a, a significant difference there's more still to be done but I, th- I think we're, we're getting there web chat is still a, a quick way for, for those customers who are happy to use that that's still probably the quickest way to get through to speak to speak to somebody but we're starting to see a big difference and uh, we're getting to a place now not just on the personal side, but in the business side, where we're starting to be able to contact out again rather than just dealing with all the, the calls that are coming in. So we're moving to moving to a better place, and that allows us then to phone clients to see what support they need rather than sitting there worrying about what the future may hold. Finally, just to recap, for any business out there that is worrying about this uncertain cash flow situation for the next three, six, nine months, what would be your advice to them? First and foremost, get in touch with their, their relationship manager. If they don't have a relationship manager, get in touch with the bank. There's different things that we can do for them. The bank's website is a really good area section of it on the coronavirus business interruption loan. 
but there's also some practical tips on what they can be doing there as well. But please, you know, don't be sitting there worrying about it. We're we're here to support you back to financial health. That's what we want to do. So please get in touch. Gary Munro of RBS, thank you for your time. Thank you, Simon. Thank you. And that's all for this edition of the Sky Time podcast. If you have a story to tell or a subject you want covered, please get in touch. Simon at simoncousinsmedia.co.uk You can also email me if you'd like to sponsor or advertise on the podcast. Until next time, stay safe, stay home, and stay in touch with family, friends and neighbours. I give up.